If you have a copy of God's Word, would you uh, turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, the story is told of a mother getting a pie ready for dinner and she was ready to put the pie into the oven. And as she was preparing that, the phone rang and it was the school nurse and the school uh, nurse had said that she needed to come to the school and pick up her son. He had a high fever and, and so she did the math in her head real quick and how long it would take her to get to school, how long it would take to check out her son and get home and she figured, okay, I have enough time to get the pie in the oven cooking and so she put the pie there and left for the school. When she arrived at the school, her son's uh, fever had spiked and the nurse said, listen, it's not safe. You need to take him to the doctors now. And seeing her son in that condition, you know, uh, body trembling, face flushed, pres- uh, perspiring everywhere. See, she uh, frantically drove to the doctor's office as fast as she dared. She became more anxious as she had to sit there waiting for the doctor to come back from the examination room. And when he walked in, he gave her these instructions, get him home in bed, and a prescription says start him on this as soon as possible. So by the time she got her son home in bed, she headed over the shopping mall. She was frantic and frazzled and she hurried there she had forgotten to take the pie out of the oven she goes to the pharmacy in the middle of the mall gets a prescription filled rushes back to the car fumbles through her purse can't find her keys looks in the window there were her keys hanging in the ignition doors locked calls her son i've locked the keys inside my car with a hoarse whisper mom Go get a coat hanger. You can get in the car. And so she goes back in the mall. And there's no wire coat hangers anymore, right? It's all wooden hangers and plastic hangers. And, and so she's frustrated. And finally she finds an old-fashioned store that has a, a wire hanger. And so she walks back to the car. And she's looking at this hanger. And she goes, what am I going to do now? I have, not, I have no clue what to do with this wire hanger. At that moment, she just becomes overwhelmed with emotion. She prays, Lord, my son is at home and sick, at home sick. I have this medicine, he needs it. The pie in the oven is burning. I got this wire hanger, I don't have a clue. Send someone now to open my door. Wipes her tears from her eyes, looks up, there's this old beat up car, drives up in front of her and this guy in his 20s gets out, tattered clothes, beard hanging down from his face. And she walks over to him and she says, do you know what to do with this in a car? What car? Over there and they walk and he takes a look and her words, it was amazing how quickly he could get that car open and she got within a few seconds, the door is open. She threw his arms around him and said, oh, the Lord sent you, you're such a good boy, you must be a Christian. He steps back, no ma'am, I'm not a good boy, I'm not a Christian, I just got out of prison. She lunges towards him and grabs him and she says, thank you, Jesus, you sent me a professional. (laughs) Today we're going to look at our final command, one another command. Uh, It's the final, it's the last in our study this spring and summer, but not the last uh, one another command of the New Testament. Today, pray for one another. Our text is James chapter 13 or James chapter 13, James chapter 5, uh, verse 13. Let's read God's word together. 
and then we're going to see what God has to say to us today in the Scriptures. All right, so let's read God's Word. Uh, Beginning with verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. The Lord will set them on his feet. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Mark this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Verse 18, again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Right, and so let's begin to take a look at this passage I had thought we could get through all five or six verses, how many verses we have here. I don't think we're going to do it. I don't even think we're going to get to the pray for one another part of the middle of this passage, but it's still the title for today, all right? So, you guys good? Yes? As I prayed this week, as I studied this passage and prayed this week, say, Lord, just kind of capture... You know, help me capture this message in a statement. What would that statement be? This is the thought that I had. I believe it's from the Lord. At all times and in all ways, remember God. At all times and all ways, remember God. I I think this statement summarizes these verses. At all times and all ways, remember God. Uh, James is going to present for us in these verses three scenarios, three ways that we remember God. Three scenarios, three ways in which we can remember God. Scenario number one, in times of suffering, how do you remember God? Pray. In times of suffering, pray. Look again at the opening uh, phrase of verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Now we might read that and say, kind of think of a parent, right? You're in trouble, right? That's not the kind of trouble we're talking about here. Is anyone among you trouble? In trouble? Let them pray. The word translated here for trouble really is describing suffering. Suffering evil or suffering because as a result of evil. It's life in this fallen world. Suffering of any and every kind. Notice what the scripture doesn't say. The scripture doesn't um, you know, spiritualize suffering. Like, uh, if anyone is suffering for Christ, let him pray. That's not the suffering. That's it, there's no qualification like that on this kind of on suffering here. If there's any kind of suffering, if you're in any kind of trouble, let your first response be that of prayer. Now, James. The half-brother of Jesus, right? Mary and Joseph had other children. James was one of them. Is the human author of this letter, right? We know that I've said this a bunch of times, but I just want us to be absolutely convinced that the word that we're holding in our hand is the word of God. 
God inspired human authors, so God is the author writing through a human, James, the half-brother of Jesus. You need to be convinced that this is the Word of God. That's not in my notes, so let me find my place in the notes here. Jesus, or Jesus, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is a writing and addressing this issue of suffering, right? He's writing to Jewish believers, first-century Christians who had been scattered out of Palestine into the Middle East because of persecution, and he has identified throughout this letter to them various kinds of suffering that they and we experience. Chapter 1 opened up, the first words opened up about trials of many different kinds, various colors of suffering. Chapter 2, he addressed the problem of showing favoritism, right? There's a person that I really want to be close to, and I'm going to favor them. There's somebody who's different than me, and I, uh, I really don't like them, and they kind of get on my nerves, and so I'm just going to treat them with contempt, that was the issue then. That's an issue now. James addresses that in chapter 2. Chapter 3, he talks about um, the issue of the tongue. Your tongue ever gets you in trouble? <laughs> Some of you. And what happens when our tongue begins to run wild? Chapter 3. Chapter 4, the issue of worldliness and loving the things of this world and not loving the things of God. Chapter 5, the issue of the rich believers oppressing poor believers in the church. And he begins then in verse 7 of, of chapter 5, and he says, be patient in your suffering. The point that James is building throughout this letter, getting arriving in verse 13 is this, whatever kind of suffering you're enduring and experiencing, whatever the source and the reason for your suffering, for your trouble, let your response be one, pray. That's the point that he's making. Whatever your, comes your way in life, let your first response be that of prayer. And as we've seen in the other one another commands in this study through the New Testament, pray in verse 13 is not a suggestion. If you're having a really bad day, you might want to pray. If your trouble seems to be somewhat manageable, you might want to figure it out on your own. Right? That's not what the Word of God is saying. The Word of God says, whatever kind of trouble you find yourself in, whatever degree, whatever depth, whatever reason, however long it persists, let your response always be this, pray. Right? It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Let them pray. Let, let her pray. Let uh, he must pray, she must pray, you must pray, I must pray. I read this week of a, of a Sunday school class uh, teaching their children in the class to pray for their missionaries. And so they sent, the teacher had uh, encouraged the kids to write letters to the different missionaries that letting them know that they were praying for them. And the teacher evidently must have said something like this. Now, kids, you need to understand, our missionaries are really busy and so don't expect a letter back. So one boy took this to heart. And so his letter went like this. Reverend Smith, we're praying for you, but we don't expect a letter back. <laughs> so I thought about that story. I thought about how many times we pray like that boy did. Lord, 
I'm praying. I'm asking. But I really don't expect an answer back. And I think our enemy, our adversary, the devil, one of his chief objectives in this life is to discourage you and I, the people of God, from praying. And he'll whisper in our ears, well, God doesn't hear you. God won't hear you. Yeah, the Bible says that God hears, but he's not going to answer you. How many times have you asked? How long have you been praying for? And you think God's going to give an answer this time? And the result is is that we give up on praying. We stop praying. And to be more pointed, we disobey this command. And our prayerlessness is sin. Our unbelief in who God is is sin. The assumptions that we begin to make, well, well, prayer, that's what the professionals do. And since I'm not a pastor and since I'm not a missionary, well, I'm just not going to pray. They can do the praying. I, I'm kind of like a, I, I'm like a, you know, third, third string prayer. They're the real prayers. And so, listen, any of those kinds of assumptions and thoughts that we might have floating around our head, let's call it what it is. Unbelief, sin. And so James, to encourage believers, these believers who are suffering, these believers who are going through trouble, to encourage you and I now, 2,000 years later, the Holy Spirit uses this word of God. He gives to us an, an example to encourage us to pray, to stimulate us to pray. And the point that James is going to make here in this passage is this. Pray because prayer works. Pray because prayer works. Look down to verse 16. See, we just skipped all the stuff that said about uh, pray for one another. We're going to have to pick that up another Sunday. Verse 16. Look at the end there of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. The earth produced crops. And so James gives to us this example of Elijah. But the example that he uses of Elijah is not meant to discourage us, is not meant to leave us. Well, that never happens to me, so... Prayer doesn't work for me. I'm not going to pray. That's not the point of this example. You understand that? The point of these verses, the example of Elijah, is to encourage us to pray. Elijah prayed. For three and a half years, there was no rain. He prayed again. Heavens opened up. Crops began to grow. 
And we might be tempted to think, well, man, if that happened just one time when I prayed, I'd be all in on prayer. But I've never seen anything like that happen, so I'm not sure I should be praying. I'm not sure I can pray. But that's not the point that James is making. Scripture is not saying, well, listen, if you can pray like Elijah and stop, then keep on praying. No, that's not the point. The point that James wants to drive home for us in verse 17 is the start of verse 17 is this. Elijah was a human being even as we are. Elijah was a human being as we are. And so let's just stop and think about this for a moment. Who was Elijah? What was he like? And so this is going to be kind of a, a classroom setting, right? We're going to kind of quiz you guys. We're going to answer this question. Who was Elijah? What do we know about Elijah? What do we know about Elijah the prophet? That's the first one. And then the second thing is, what do we know about Elijah the man? All right, so talk to me. Elijah the prophet. What do we know about Elijah the prophet? Can't hear y'all. <laughs> We're going to have to have, this is not good. We're going to have to have Bible class. Okay, Pam, you go first, then Cindy. Okay, sorry. Elijah the prophet prayed for rain. Okay, yes, we do know that. Thank you. The obvious. Cindy. Give me, okay, yeah, so Elijah the type of Christ performs. Give me one miracle. That was Elisha. Okay, so at the end of his life, struck the, rolled up his cloak, struck the Jordan River, the river parted. Elijah the prophet. What are we, who, who was the great showdown? Okay, uh, Jerry. This, all ladies and no men, this is even more scarier. Okay, go on, what? Trouble with Jezebel. Uh, well, yeah, we're going to get to that. Let's put that on the man's side. All right, oh, here we go. We got a male here speaking. Okay, killed 400 prophets of male. That's a, that's a man's answer right there. We're going to slaughter man. All right, uh, Tim, pardon me? Oh, the showdown with Ahab on Mount Carmel, right? Uh, remember the showdown on Carmel? What happened there? Fire fell from heaven, right? Right? And then the prophets uh, were killed there. All right, let's talk about Elijah the man, right? What do you know about Elijah the man? What was he like? What, what, what were some of the things? We forgot about the, the feeding of the raven, right, in the wilderness and the, the brook that didn't, what? Yes, okay, so Elijah the prophet, empowered by God to outrun the, uh, uh, Jer uh, Ahab's Jer uh, chariot. Uh, okay, he hid in the cave. What do we know about Elijah the man? Did you raise your hand? Because I was pointing to the person behind you. Okay, hurry up and speak. You have the floor. You've got 10 seconds. You, you're on. <laughs> I didn't hear him. I was talking. Oh, yes, okay. Elijah, the, the, um, I forgot where he was. Yes, he was the one. Yeah, he, he said, Lord, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left in all of Israel who's serving you. I'm the only one faithful. What else do we know about Elisha the man? Suffered from depression. Yeah. Pardon me? Never died. Just raptured to heaven or carried to heaven in a, in a chariot. Afraid of death. He longed for death, right? He said, oh, yes, okay, yes, so... Yeah, so she's running, afraid, and then he's out in the wilderness, and he's just saying, hey, I think it'd be just better off to be dead than alive, right? Here's the point that James is making for us in this passage. 
Elijah was a man just like you and I. Now, we think of the prophet, but that's not the point that Elijah's making. He was a man who was afraid, would like to hang out in a cave and be alone and struggled with depression, imagined that he was the only one left, at times preferring death to life itself. And James is saying, the one who is like you and me saw God work in a powerful way when he prayed. And the point is this, pray, because prayer works. You say, what was the secret of Elijah's life? The power for Elijah's praying was not that, um, was not that he, it was, uh, wasn't because, you know, uh, the power didn't rest inside of Elijah. It was the God to whom Elijah prayed. That's where the power was, Right? And so the, the scripture here is saying, whatever kind of suffering you're in, whatever kind of trouble you're experiencing, pray. Don't forget Elijah. He saw God do mighty works through him because he prayed and he was a man just like you and I. Pray. Now, verse 16, end of verse 16, gives us the key to praying. And it says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And you're th- so we read that and we think, well, man, I don't, I'm not a righteous person, therefore prayer doesn't work. So we need to understand, what is this righteousness that's being talked about here? What is going on? What do we need to know about this? How do we begin to see, how can we pray with this kind of confidence and begin to see these kinds of results? What does it mean to have this righteousness? Well, you know, about a decade or two ago, 10 to 20 years ago, righteous, man, that was a slang word, wasn't it? I think it was like in a... It was probably from California. Righteous, dude! It was probably, uh, I think it was a Napoleon Dynamite movie, right? Am I, is that the right movie? No? I, okay, it's too old to remember. Um, Finding Nemo. <laughs> I don't know. I never saw that movie. I don't think. I, I, I can't remember. All right, anyway. So, but listen. Righteousness is not a slang, right? N- notice what James doesn't say. The one who is self-righteous has great power when they pray. You know anybody self-righteous? Looking down their nose? Giving off this air? Man, I, I, don't, I don't struggle with sin. That's not me. That might be them. That might be you, but it's not me. Right? And we just kind of walk around as, I'm a little bit better than you. It's not self-righteousness that has power. It's not a righteousness that comes about by trying really hard. Man, I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really clean up my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get things together here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start going to church and I'm gonna start doing all these God things. And maybe if I start doing all these God things, maybe I'll have power when I pray. Now, know this. Let's not be confused about this. We do know this that the one who persists in unrepentant sin. They're not going to have the assurance of seeing God at work and realize answers to prayer, right? There's a disconnect between their life and their, their, their walk and their confession in God, right? 
I think of the beatitude. Uh, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall... Some of you got it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Seeing God, I don't believe that's just a reference to the a promise to the here and after, the here, life, you know, hereafter. Seeing God is uh, seeing God at work, experiencing God, knowing God, having an intimacy with God, uh, praying and seeing God answer prayers. Blessed are the pure heart. But this righteousness that James is talking about isn't self-righteousness, and it's not a, 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 you know, a, an earned righteousness. I'm going to earn, I'm going to curry favor with God by, by doing really good things. It's not that kind of righteousness. I believe the righteousness that the Scripture is talking about here is what the Puritans and the Reformers called an alien righteousness. We don't use that language a lot. We probably should. That's my fault. An alien righteousness. Martin Luther said it's a righteousness that comes to us from the outside. Something that's not of us. Say, what is an alien righteousness? An alien righteousness is this: is that when you and I, when we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus Christ, and we believe that when He hung on that cross and He He gave His life there on the cross and He paid for our sin in its entirety, He paid that penalty, and and through His resurrection, He lives to set us free from the power of sin. And we know that He's coming again to ultimately He's going to deliver us from this world, from this body of sin. We're going to be taken into his presence. When we turn from our sin and we believe on the crucified and resurrected Christ, the Bible says that God imputes or he imparts, he gives to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Martin Luther called the alien righteousness of Christ. And this verse here says the prayer of the righteous person. It's not what I think of myself compared to you. It's not what I can achieve by trying really hard. It's what Christ gives to me. Prayer now is the birthright of a child of God. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective as it is working. That's why James says, pray, pray. Whatever the trouble is, whatever the suffering is, pray. Let me end with a story, and then I want to call us to prayer. Uh, Ron Dunn, who is now in heaven, has written a book. Um, Don't just stand there, pray something, the power of intercessory prayer. 
tells of a story in his own life in this book, uh, from his own life in this book. When he was pastoring, when he was pastoring a young, uh, growing suburban church, fast-growing suburban church, uh, he found that his best time for personal prayer was about midnight. He said that at that point, at midnight, it was, the phone was unlikely to ring and the doorbell was unlikely to, to, be, to be rung as well, right? So, so he, at midnight is when he would have his time, his personal time of prayer with the Lord. And one day was particularly busy, and he had said, I did nothing spiritual that day. I, I uh, wrote some letters, returned some phone calls, did some planning for meetings, worked on the church calendar, but I didn't do anything spiritual. And so that midnight came around and he went to his place of prayer and he got on his knees before God and he began to pray like this. He said, Lord, I know I don't really have any right to ask of you anything today. And he began to explain himself. I haven't read my Bible like I should. I haven't prayed like I should. I haven't witnessed anybody. I haven't done any sermon preparation. I haven't done anything spiritual today. And he said, it was as if the Lord said to him, Ron, if you had, let's just say you had done something spiritual today. Let's just say you had read your Bible for four hours on your knees and you had prayed for four hours and you had witnessed and led ten people to Christ. Would you feel more worthy of asking me right now. And he said, well, yes, I would. And he says, as if the Lord shouted into his ear, then, Ron, you are praying in, the unwor- in your own unworthy name. But you're not praying in my name. He said it was as if he had given a vision of seeing the floor in the throne room of heaven. And it was not stained with the works of Ron Dunn, but it was stained with the blood of Christ. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective as it is working. So we can talk about prayer and never get to the point of praying. And so I want to invite us this morning to turn this worship center into a house of prayer. And I don't know what God has in store for us this morning. I asked you at the start if you had needs this morning and a couple hands went up, but I would imagine that there's more than a few. And I don't know what the trouble is that you're facing. The verse that we never even got to look at was pray for one another. We have brothers and sisters and friends and colleagues and family members who are facing trouble and we're called to intercede and to pray for them. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is, is to just turn this worship center, like I said, into a house of prayer. Maybe it's praying with the person that you came to the worship center with and just praying together. Maybe it's um, saying, I'm just going to come to the altar, I'm going to get on my face before God, and I'm just going to, just whatever it is there, I'm just going to talk to the Lord about that. 
Uh, maybe it's getting up from where you're sitting and finding someone that you know in the worship center here and saying, hey, listen, I'd like to, I need you to pray with me. This is the trouble that I'm in. Would you pray with me? I've asked some of our brothers and sisters here, Jack and Jeannie, Chris and Ernestine. Chris and Ernestine are going to be here to the side. Jack and Jeannie are going to be here to the side. And say, hey, listen, I need somebody to pray with me. Would you pray with me? Share your trouble. Our brothers and sisters, what you share with them is in confidence. They're not going to be sharing with others. But they will take it to the Lord with you and for you. And so I'm going to invite us to pray. As we pray, the worship team is going to come. They're going to come lead us in some songs of prayer. I don't know what God has in store for us here at this time right now. But I'm going to ask you to come and let's do what the scripture says. And that is, if any of you is in trouble, pray. And so the heads bowed, let's pray. Worship team, you come. Chris and Ernestine. Jack and Jean, if you come in place, and brothers and sisters, if you need prayer, we invite you to come and receive the ministry of prayer today. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for meeting us in this place here today. Thank you for opening up your word to us and allowing us to hear and see and understand the scriptures. Forgive us for imagining, for believing the lies of our enemy or adversary, saying that you're a God who... Maybe hears other people, but you're not the God who hears us. You're a God who works for other people pray, but you're not a God who works when we pray. Forgive us for doubting. Forgive us for putting people like Elijah on a pedestal and say, well, we're not a prophet. But that's not the point. You said Elijah was a man like us, and he prayed, and you worked, and you acted in a powerful way as he prayed. We confess, God, that there's a mystery when it comes to praying. We know that you never act contrary to your purposes. And yet somehow you choose to work through the prayers of your people. We embrace that mystery, believing that you've called us to yourself to call upon you in prayer. Today, may we take the first steps of becoming people who pray. Father, help us, enable us now as we seek you. Hear our prayers as we cry out to you, for we pray and ask this all through the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. We invite you to come receive the ministry of prayer to get together today. Let's, uh, let's stand. We'll sing. We'll pray together.